the blast from our past network. This week on Talking Back, Homeless Spock carries out his own agenda. Talking Back. Hey, everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me, as usual, is co host Dean. And today, Dean, we are going to go boldly into Star Trek. Oh, man, Tim. Isn't that exciting? Right now, it's so exciting. I'm sending you friendship messages, sending to Tim Unit. Yeah. <laughs> Message received. <laughs> I'm so pumped, Tim. Tim, uh, we, what am I doing on a Star Trek episode? What's happening? I here? know. It's very strange. Now, we have done a Star Trek with you before. We covered the reboot, the 2009 reboot, which was yeah. incredible. Great episode. But yeah, you're here for some of the original stuff. This doesn't feel right. I, I'm, I, I don't know where Terry is. I don't know where Jay is. Um, I'm not sure what you've done with them, but you've taken their place to do some hey. OG Star Trek content. Yeah, I, I, what can I say? I don't know. I don't know where they are. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know if they're in the cellar or, or where they are, but uh, they're not here today and I am. So They weren't available. So you're here and you're going to be the one to join me to talk about Star Trek The Motion Picture. <laughs> oh my Snuck goodness. my way in. <laughs> you did. You weaseled your way in. Can I ask you something? Did you at least watch this? Oh, I watched, you watched it, Tim. You did I watch watched it. it. Great. Oh, that, yeah. We're going to need that to happen. Yeah, it happened, and uh, whoo, what a great movie. Yeah, well, that is uh, excellent. I'm glad that you did do that, Dean. Thank you for watching it. You're welcome, Tim. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for joining. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Tim. Yeah. Thanks to the listeners out there who are listening. Oh, right yeah. Now. Hey, thanks, everybody. Hey, uh, thanks for showing up this week again. Appreciated. Appreciated. Yeah, appreciated. Um, why are we doing this, though, Dean? This is a funny story. This is a funny story. Yeah. We both got the um, the Star Trek 10 disc like original movies Blu-ray for Christmas. Uh, yes. Unbeknownst to both of us. I just sent yeah, you. Yeah, we both I, we both didn't know. We just uh, were talking about some of our favorite things from Christmas, and we both like said that we got it. It seems like an obvious thing for me to get that set, but for yeah. you to get that set, I was very surprised. So as soon as I sent you um, a picture of it, uh, and you said, "Oh, I got the same set," then I was like, "Oh, well, guess what we have to do next? It's just like yeah. dig into this one." And um, totally, yeah. And then Terry and Jay didn't pick their phone up, so you uh, you got the third call. Yes, thank you. Yeah. My uh my in-laws are big Star Trek fans and they know that I've been trying to get on your Star Trek episodes. Oh. So they threw this in there just so I could have we have a, an in, have a way to get on one of these episodes. I guess maybe this can be a like a test, a test or a trial. We'll see how you Ooh, okay, do. Okay, I like it. I like it. Okay. If you do well, maybe we can get you on with Terry and Jay Whew, to talk that would some, be of, awesome. some of the Star Trek universe. Because unfortunately, I don't have a tattoo. Well, I don't have a, I don't so, have a Star Trek tattoo. Only Jay has the Star Trek tattoo. Well, I know, but I'm trying to see what like I can bring to the table. Okay, so I guess he's got a tattoo know. covered. Well, here's what you can bring. I, it's what you bring to yeah. all the episodes. It's that you haven't seen it before. Fresh take. Fresh take. Fresh hot take. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's my thing. Yeah, it's great. Apparently, I haven't seen any movies. <laughs> That's my thing is fresh take. Yeah. Well, that'll that'll be fun, um, Dean. Before we get started, I want to I want to do something a bit different to start this off. I want to read something to to you and to the Great. listeners. Okay. Great, love it. This was written, I believe, back in 2015 or 2016. It's from the website The Oatmeal, and it uh, it's a true story, and it goes a little bit something like this. Now, if you go to The Oatmeal um, and you read this story, it has accompanying um, like an accompanying comic strip to it which uh, gives it a little bit more impact, but I'm going to read the words for everybody. On June 18th, 1947, on a Pan Am flight from Calcutta to New York, an engine stopped working, which caused another engine to overheat, which caused a fire, which caused a panic. While the pilot attempted to land the plane, the 25-year-old co-pilot unbuckled himself. He went into the main cabin to help with the passengers. He sat next to a young woman who was alone. 
He told her it was going to be okay. He told her this as he watched the engine continue to burn. He told her this as he watched it fall from the wing. He told her this as fuel lines became exposed. Fire overtook the aircraft and the plane pitched downward. He told her this knowing that every single person on that plane was about to die. The plane hit hard into the Syrian desert. 14 people died instantly. Two crew members survived, including the co-pilot. And with a pair of broken ribs, he went back into the burning plane, pulling survivors from the wreckage. Eventually, the wind turned and fire overtook the aircraft. And so they waited. Morning arrived, but a rescue did not. The co-pilot took charge and formed two search parties. The first party went in one direction. The second party, along with the co-pilot, went in another, wandering into the desert. They eventually found a village. A village which had a radio. A call was made, and 22 survivors were rescued. As for the co-pilot, the crash changed him. After that, he didn't want to be a pilot anymore. He wanted to do something different with his life. He resigned from Pan Am to pursue a career in writing and ultimately television. His name was Gene Roddenberry, and he created Star Trek. What? That is incredible. What an incredible story. It is. It is an incredible story. So, like, this guy before the Star Trek universe had a real interesting life. Um, yeah. This is This is part of it. Now, um, you know, this is somebody's account of the story. Uh, this is like a summary of it. But he was involved in three plane crashes. He was he was in wow. the war. He was a fighter pilot or, or some sort of pilot. Um, he crashed there. He worked for Pan Am. He crashed a couple times and survived all these, you know, culminating with this story. He decides this isn't really the life for me. I want to move into something different. So I just thought that was so fascinating to know that about yeah. about him. Um when I had when I read this the first time, I didn't know any background of his life. I just thought like his only thing was was Star Trek. So, yeah, reading that, um, I just thought it was very very powerful uh, piece. So I wanted to share that with everybody. Yeah, totally, and really cool that like he worked, you know, with a crew, worked on on a plane, and then you know writes a show about a really like interesting crew and really interesting things that happen with that crew like we love star trek well because now i'm a new fan um we love star trek for the crew that's one of the things we love well one of the things but i like that is what really connects you know is is all those cool characters and so i think that's really really neat that the, he brings that sort of past and history to the table really cool yeah so star trek the motion picture released in 1979 with a budget of 44 million it crushes at the box office and rakes in $139 million. Oh, nice. Very nice. That's very nice. That's much better than Money Doubled. This was Money 3.159. Oh, you did the math. Boom. Tim mm. Unit does the math. I did it. Tim Unit calculated. Awesome. Directed by Robert Wise, who had previously won an Academy Award for Best Director for both West Side Story uh, in 61 and The Sound of Music in 65. So this guy knows what he's doing. Knows yes, for sure. We should, tip, we should tip our cap to The Sound of Music. What a great movie that is. Oh, you, I, love I, I see what you're doing. Yeah. You're trying to make <laughs> me sing right now, aren't you? <laughs> oh, here we you're go. You're trying to make me sing. You have already sang a song from this movie on this podcast before. I have. You know what? I would so like to oblige you but i'm feeling a little bit under the weather as listeners can probably tell from my voice so i just i'm not going to jump into song this time it's fair to try it again pull it out again another time i I bet i bet i dangled i dangled the bait oh yeah you're gonna grab it it smells so good it smells so good (laughs) so the story is created by alan dean foster who has a wealth of experience writing novelizations for movies so his list of things include novelizations for the Star Wars franchise, the Aliens franchise, the Terminator franchise, Transformers franchise, and Star Trek franchise. And for some of his one-offs, he wrote the novelization for The Thing, for Krull, for The Last Starfighter, The Chronicles of Riddick, Dark Star, and many more. So That's amazing. Tim, you probably saw when you read that name, I looked up. I have a floating shelf right above me of books of my 
uh, movie novelizations. I find it very uh, fun to collect movie novelizations. So I'm like, I've seen that name before. Yeah. I looked up and saw him on Alien and Aliens. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Now, music by Jerry Goldsmith. Now, this is a guy we haven't really come across very often in our movies um, that we've covered, but he's got, uh, well, he's been nominated for 18 Academy Awards for yeah, his library. Uh, yeah. He's won one. So this guy's this guy's a hero. Awesome. And he is he's the alien music as well, I think. Uh yes, he is the alien. He did yeah. notable to us, he did Alien and he did Total Recall as well. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh he also, Dean, won an Emmy for the opening theme of the Star Trek Voyager television show. Oh, cool. Which just crushes. That is like that's such a good opening theme. Yeah, you love that one. Like, technically I think it's the best. Yeah, my heart, my my heart might say the original, but like for for how, for that time and how some of the other ones were sounding, it's it's definitely it's excellent. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. So I love I love this one, the one from this movie. Yeah, which was later used in a show, right? Well, the the original show came out before this. No, I know, but I think the music in this movie, like directly, was used in the next series. I think. You think so? Well, the next series would have been uh, Star Trek: The next, next Generation. Next Generation. I think this music from this movie was then mm, used in that show. Maybe. As like the opening theme. Okay. Actually, I don't know about that. That's, uh, if that's true, Dean, that's going to go a long way for you getting on a Star Trek episode. I'm I'll trying, man. Much. I'm trying to get my points here. That's pretty good. That's pretty good stuff. Now, the, uh, the cast of the movie is uh, basically your famous crew from the OG Star Trek show. Um, we all know them. We love them. We love to see their faces. What what did you think of this movie, Tim? This movie you liked is it. great. Now you don't have I, here's you don't have to suck here's up. The thing that, you don't have to suck oh, up. Oh, okay, sorry. You can yeah. still make it on if you didn't like it, but just no, 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 this Honesty is, is important real. on this on this podcast. Okay. Honestly, honestly, I really like this movie. It, there's something. It's kind of um, on our Alien episode. I mentioned there's just something about that movie that I really love when it's moving super slowly, <laughs> like when it's just a slow moving pace, right? Like, especially when the movie opens and, you know, you get shots of like the ship and things like that. This movie opens quite like that. Like the this this first half of the movie is pretty slow with just like getting the team together and just, you know, long, long shots of ships, just like long sequences um, without any cuts, you know, just like of, of maybe even just flying around the enterprise, you know, just stuff like that. It's just, it was slow, slow moving. And it really lets me sit down, you know, get into the movie and it kind of sucks me in. And I love a sci-fi movie that moves slow, takes its time. Definitely. It's a super slow burn. I approve, approve of it for that. I really enjoyed that. And this is, this just feels like a pure sci-fi movie. They didn't try to do sci-fi slash something. They just went with sci-fi. Yeah. And uh, I, I really, I really like it. I really like this movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a movie that's just going to like um, wrestle with the concepts that it's bringing up. Like that's all it's really going to do. It's going to bring up something like cool and unique, and going to just you know figure that out. And there's like basically just one thing that happens in this entire movie, and it's it's really cool. Yeah, you know what this movie's going to do? It's going. What is it going to do? Open your mind, Quade. Open Quaid. your mind. That's what it's going to do, dude. It's going to open your mind. Quaid. Quaid. That baby is so gross. I can't get enough of that baby. I know. Every time you bring it up, I get this this flash of this grossest baby I've ever Quaid. seen. There were so many people puppeteering that body. It's incredible. <laughs> of course. Of course. There's, there there's like 17 people or something like that. Quaid. <laughs> Touch my oily body. Quaid. Do it. Do it. Touch me. Okay. We start this movie off by seeing three Klingon warbirds. Scary. What a scary intro. I mean, it kind of was a scary intro. Like, what what I know is like, these are the bad guys, right? That I think these are the bad guys. That's what I've gotten from the new Star Trek um, movies that I've watched. So... All right, we open and we got the uh, the bad guys um, in some incredible miniatures. These ships look amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was, movie looks amazing. I was going to say in HD, this uh, this movie does look very, very good. I was very, yeah. very pleased with the Blu-ray transfer on this one. 
Um, some of some of the effects, not so much, but definitely these ships and some of the, some stuff looked really great. Uh, so I enjoyed it. Now the Klingons, uh, they shoot at something, Dean. We can't see it, but they just shoot. That's kind of that's yeah. that's kind of Klingonish, just like shoot. That's oh, all. just randomly shoot, just, yeah. shooting at clouds. Something eh? moved over there. Just fire, <laughs> fire all phasers. Pew, pew. There's a blue cloud. Yeah, fire it at Shoot it, it down. Yeah. Gun it down. Uh, they fire, and there's no effect. Uh, they send out a distress beacon, and then they are shot and erased from existence. Yeah, wow. Like, ag poof, gone. Oh, yeah, like, just disintegrated. Wow, okay. This thing, whatever this thing is, is, is uh, powerful. It is powerful. And what we learn is that whatever that thing is that shot them is on its way to Earth. So that's not yeah. great. That's not good. That's bad news. That's, that's Tim. Bad. That's where you and I live. Yeah. Klingon's dead good. This thing on its on a path to Earth bad. Okay. Okay. So that's we opened and it was like, good start. Yeah. Well, good start then bad start. Yeah. So we see now what looks to be a homeless Spock on Vulcan. Yeah, man. That hair. That, that hair, hair, buddy. That hair. He looks like he's been <laughs> on a bit of a bender or something. Oh, yeah. Or like he took up surfing or something like that. Surfing. Yeah. I don't know. Sur- yeah. He's yeah, just like growing like it out, you know? Yeah. It's like, just let the wind, the wind on the beach. Uh, yeah. Let <laughs> the, let the wind guide your way, dude. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Vulcan, though, looks really cool. I really liked what they did with Vulcan yeah, in the movie. Yeah. It looks awesome. They call him uh, Spock here. Ooh, interesting. Spock. I guess that's the. I didn't uh, know that's how the, you say it. I didn't know either. I guess that's the true pronunciation of it. Yeah, Kirk does not do it that way. Nobody does. <laughs> Only the Vulcans do. Spock. <laughs> that's <laughs> oh, how he says Spock. Nice, nice Spock. Dean. Nice. So then we see Kirk the Great, who's on Earth, and they also made Earth look pretty damn cool as well. I appreciated yeah, that. Did. Yeah. Um, I think they're doing a very excellent job of making Starfleet look really cool. I'm appreciating that because like that is one of the reasons why I feel like us Trekkies would want to join Starfleet. Like one of the mm. things you'll learn, Dean, the more Star Trek you watch is eventually you'll want to join Starfleet. It happens to all of us. Uh, we all yeah. want to eventually join. And I think this um, showing how cool it looks at this time really supports us just wanting to join. So you see it at the right. beginning of the movie. Boom. It looks awesome. It looks cool. I want to join again. Again, I want to enroll. You know, I'm ready. Cool. Writing my letter uh, as this movie's going. I'm once again writing my letter for Starfleet enrollment. Nice. So is that why you all have like the shirts? Like I see so many Trekkies have the shirt. Like they're they're like wearing the Starfleet shirt. That's just to show our support for the universe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm telling you, I, I kind of want one of those. I kind of want one of those uh, unitards or whatever those those guys were wearing. Oh on yeah, the shirt there. totally. Yeah. Oh, I don't have one of those. Oh, those would be cool. We should get one. We should. We should get one. We should get one. We should get two. Yeah, you should get one. I should get I'll, one. I'll get one and wear it on the next episode. Get more points. That that'd be pretty good. So we meet Scotty now, and he's already being pressured by Kirk to give um, unrealistic results for preparing a ship for a mission. It's perfect. Right <laughs> out of the gates. Yeah, I can't do that, Captain. You got to do it. We're leaving in five minutes. Yeah, gotta go. Um. Now, at this point, like watching it, um, just let's just pretend that I've only seen the original series up to this point, and now I'm just moving mm-hmm. into this movie. Um, this is just a completely different feel than that '60s show. It, it's it's oh, okay. completely different. Uh, the, the The original had like a real nice campiness vibe to it, which uh, some might make fun of, but was a real real nice thing for the show. It just it was very endearing. And um, one of the one of the great things about the show that was almost completely removed from this movie, which hmm, I think is one of the reasons for ex- for its success. So I think like what, it was more serious, right? Well, like, it was way more serious. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, way more serious. Way like it was way slower. Like obviously the TV show, it's like episodical, so you have to have a lot of things happening in a single episode, right? Yeah. You have to, every show has to have like a, a problem that they have to solve and then it has to resolve itself by the end. Uh, but they didn't have to deal with that. So I think while they failed to recreate that feeling from the original series, I think it's what ended up making this movie so great was that they decided oh, yeah. not to do anything like that. Yeah. Well, I, I think that makes sense. Like if I was a fan of the, you know, original series and, 
the episodes, you know, were a little campy and then they were going to do something big on the big screen and I was a real big fan and I went and they gave me this just serious movie that was basically one really long episode. I would be so pumped about that. I would be so excited. I feel like at the time there were probably a lot of, you know, 60s show purists who didn't like this at all. Okay. Uh, I could I could see that happening. So we get the classic shot of Kirk arriving at the Enterprise in a shuttle and getting a boner as he flies past it. Uh, totally. Hey, hey, Tim. Yeah? He was not the only one. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey. When, when this thing was going and this shuttle, this shuttle was going around the Enterprise, I was like, you know what? I paused the movie and, you know, turned to my wife who's watching with me and I was like, this could go on for five minutes and I'm fine with it. Yeah. Well, and you know what it did, Tim? It went on for five minutes. Well, I timed on. it the second time I watched it. It was five minutes long. What he was flying past the first time was the old Enterprise. And then they oh. took him to the new Enterprise. Right. Okay. So uh, the new and improved one that he's going to captain. And when he saw that one, he just flat out, it looked like he just about cried. He was just like, oh, yeah. Tears were welling up in his eyes. Um, yeah. Scotty like grabbed his arm, like a little su- slight squeeze on his arm. They yeah. had a nice moment. Oh, yeah. It must have been like really cool for them to have, you know, flown this old spaceship and then get like a brand new. It's like getting a new car, right? Just, yeah, this oh, is, yeah. This is fun. Yeah. I, I joke about it, but I really do like the the fact that they took time. And it was a fair amount of time that you just alluded to. They took time to slowly fly us around this ship and mm-hmm. just to show us it and pay homage to the ship. Like the, the ship is a character in this movie. Right. Yep. That's a thing. That's a, another ongoing thing in the, in the television series is that the ship is part of the crew. It's one of the crew. But I also liked it for the reason that the ship that they flew past at first was the ship from the show. And now they're flying into a, sh- a ship for the movie. It's like a passing of the guard from the show onto the bigger budget movie. Cool. Now, the movie is full of set pieces. And oh, my goodness, dude. Like, come on. Do they look amazing? incredible I know incredible they, sci-fi set pieces yeah they really do a lot of a lot of the scenes we were in and the the pieces uh the the sets they were on i was like man this is like that i think that goes all the way back there and i think that set is actually has that in it too like it just it these sets are incredible yeah it's really cool the uh, the art was done by a uh, matthew yurichik you should check mm. out some of his stuff uh mm-hmm. really really cool stuff now kirk arrives on the bridge and we meet all the others from the original series. Okay, so we've yeah. got Ohura, we've got Sulu, we've got Chekhov. Um, we don't have Spock yet, though. No. He's not there. No, it's not complete without Spock. And I'm curious, actually, at this point, how he's going to make his way on the ship. Yeah. I know they're going to do something with it, and I'm curious. Yeah. We meet a guy who's actually the captain of the ship. Kirk's not actually captain of the ship. Some other dude yeah. is. It's Admiral Kirk at this point. So he comes right. on. He's been he's been promoted since that television show. He has been promoted, but now yeah. he's demoting himself to come back on as captain. And yes, and I I really like how they lay this out. Go ahead. Because I like that he goes on to um like what is it called? The bridge? Is that what it's called with all the Yeah, the bridge. Yeah. So I like that he comes on to the bridge and the captain isn't there. And so everyone has their moment where they can be excited that he's back everyone can be like super pumped about it you know and because they just got the news but the captain wasn't there he doesn't know so it then allows kirk to go tell the captain himself and they can have their moment where the captain's like no like why this is my ship so it's really cool that they were able to create both of those two feelings which i i think that feeling of him going on the ship and everyone being happy is one we want to see but how can you do that if there's going to be one pissed off guy and so I, I thought it was really cool and well thought out that they split those things up. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, the uh, the, the current captain, uh, Decker, uh, he, he's new. He's a new character, so he's not in the okay. old show. He's just brand new for this okay. movie. Uh, but I, I do like what they did there because, yeah, you're right. He, he gets uh, relegated to commander from captain, but mm-hmm. he's not very happy about it. And his argument is that, yes, Kirk is like this wise um, wise captain who knows a lot of stuff, but he doesn't know this ship. Uh, Decker is right. is integrated into this ship. He knows everything about it, top to bottom. So he should be the better choice for this mission. So Kirk holds a meeting with the entire crew, letting them know about this anomaly that's destroyed the Klingons 
and is now 53.4 hours away from Earth. Yes. Tim, this meeting is wild. I really like this meeting, Dean, because Kirk is just laying it out there for everybody on the ship, showing them exactly what they're up against. I like that they take, again, I like that they take the time to do this. You don't don't see this very often that a captain pulls the entire crew together and says, this is what we're up against. You know, oftentimes I feel like the main people, like the commanders and the lieutenants, get informed of what's going on and they just pass down orders. But you want to know a great way to motivate your entire crew? Involve them all in explaining what's going on, right? Like get them all fired up for this mission. So I liked it. I think what the movie's doing um, is it's laying out how capable Kirk is. And he just like really is. He's such a good captain. He doesn't really have an ego. Like he makes bold choices sometimes, but not because he has an ego. He actually will say when he's wrong. And I think it's, this is kind of one of those moments setting up where it's like, yeah, we're going to let everyone know exactly what we're going into because it is going to be very dangerous. And you have this room of like, I don't know, a hundred to 200 people standing there and and they're showing on like the video screen all these ships getting just like evaporated and then they go to like the satellite uh you know the satellite in in space where they're they're going to be communicating whatever like what what the big cloud is that's coming and then they get disintegrated while we're talking to them and everyone's just standing there and they're like oh man like this is okay this is going to be really dangerous. Like we are going to war. Like we are going in it right now. This is might be the last time you ever see your family. Like this this could mm. be it. Yeah, so get them let them know it's serious. Yeah. Let them know what they're going into. Yeah. Now I am going to um disagree a bit with your comment about that he doesn't have an ego because I think he really does have an ego. Uh hmm. you may not have seen it. It may not have come across yet in this movie, but in the show he for sure has an ego. Okay. A very big one. Because it in the movie, I really felt like when he was wrong, he was first like, hey, why are you disagreeing with me? And then when someone had a good answer, he's like, mm, good point. Yeah. I mean, they, they definitely changed things from yeah, the okay. original show to this one. Like a lot, okay. lot of things are different. That's for sure one of the things they removed. Like in the original series, he's also a sex machine, which they don't, they kind of nod at it a little bit here. They make a, they make a subtle joke. When that um that that the bald headed uh woman comes yeah. on, Ilea, Ilea, she comes aboard yeah. and like one of the I think it's actually the very first thing she says to the captain is that she she's still undergoing her celibacy, her like um vow of celibacy. That's yes. like the first thing that she says to him is like I'm I'm celibate, just so I'm still yes. celibate, so you know. Like that's the nod Tim. back to the original series that he just he he like he has sex with, with anybody he can. Alien, yeah. green, blue, purple whatever it doesn't matter so and she was looking right at him when she said that so i thought this was really weird and really you know kind of kind of funny and so i look i looked into it and she's from what the planet's like delta 4 and the deltans are very sexual beings oh interesting everything they do is sexual all their social gatherings so because they're so sexual, they have to vow to celibacy when they join Starfleet, because otherwise they would make all the other people uncomfortable. Interesting. Yeah, so it was actually like, there. it's her who's like the one who's very sexual, and she's just making sure, you know, like Kirk knows, uh, and by the way, we can't have sex. Okay, because her and Decker have some sort of thing going on, and yes. I really got the feeling that she wasn't celibate with him. But that makes for sense sure. that there, she's not celibate on her planet. She's only celibate yeah. for these missions. Uh, so something in the past then happened with her and Decker. Wow. Yeah. And they're supposed to be they're supposed to be so like advanced that if you have a sexual encounter with them, you cannot forget about it, and you can like never have another regular sexual encounter. So that's also maybe why he's so obsessed with her. Being oh yeah. Back. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for bringing that out. I like that. Yeah. Now. Kirk is explaining that this entity, whatever it is, seems to come in the form of an enormous gas cloud and nothing can escape its wrath. Um, And then, as you mentioned, like as they're talking, it destroys this Starfleet communication array that uh, they were in in contact with. So the Enterprise is ready to leave space dock, but Bones isn't aboard yet, Dean. We don't have Bones. 
We need bones, man. We, we need this do guy. need him. So Kirk gives him a personal invite to come aboard. Now, this seemed really weird and unnecessary for me as a way to get bones on board. Like, I, yeah. I don't even really understand what they were talking about in the scene. Yeah. And it just seemed like con- conflict for the sake of conflict because they just have a weird conversation. Bones is like all disheveled and like he's also looking homeless. And then he has all a of a huge sudden beard and he's dressed like Elvis. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, OK, I guess I'll come. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyways, they get Bones on board and then um, they head out into space to make contact with this seemingly unstoppable force. Yeah. Wow. Bold. To boldly go is right. But that's what they do, right? Like Earth is in jeopardy and they have this ship, which is a form of communication that they send out to intercept to try to communicate and just say like, what's going on? Like before you get to Earth, what's going on? So, and at this point, Dean, the Star Trek theme kicks in and comforts me. Oh yeah, man. So comforting. I love it. This score just is so good. This score is insane. I love this score. Yeah. Excellent. This movie sounds and looks so good. It does. And I think it, um, at this point, I should say, they're also doing a good job of making this movie accessible for anybody. For people yeah. who have seen the series and people who have not seen the series. Uh, it's, just, it's a new thing they decided to go with. Bold choice to kind of um, get rid of any sort of attachments that the original series had other than these characters and just try something brand new with a big budget. Then they went for it. And I think they did a really good job and I think it's working. Um, yeah, this is, this is kind of a huge budget when you said 44 million, I don't really want to go back to it. Like, but I just want to say like, that is, that is a huge budget. Cause when we were talking about stuff like alien, we're talking about like 10 million. Alien, you know? I th- yeah. I mean, alien was it even 10. I think it was even like I think it, I think five it got or six. To 10. I think it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be six and then he needed more later. Um, so they, I think it ended up pushing up to 10 around there, but like this 44, that's so much more. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So the enterprise gets caught in a wormhole here and we get some real amazing trippy effects, dude. Oh um, yeah, totally. I was just like, I was caught off guard by this. I wasn't really expecting it. I had kind of forgotten about the scene, but oh my goodness. Oh, cool. Uh, really, really fun. Um, the scene also like continues to build that animosity that's going on between Kirk and the commander Decker. Yeah. Cause in the wormhole, uh, Decker disregards an order f- that Kirk says to fire, fire phasers. But afterwards, Decker explains that in that situation, firing the phasers would have destroyed the ship. Right. And Kirk just didn't know the ship well enough. So yeah, I appreciate that they're supporting Decker's point of view. But I also know from watching, you know, future movies and the series before this, that the ship is in better hands with Kirk because what's eventually going to happen is that Kirk's going to show us at a certain point in the movie, how his experience is even more important than what anybody else knows. That's, that's just like a theme. It's like Kirk always, he always kind of does something I mean, in the reboot, he he's doing things that are a little bit wild, a little bit more edgy than other people want to do. For sure. Um, yeah. In in this in this, he's just kind of like he's making the right calls, the wiser calls. And I'll get to it later, but there's a point where Decker wants to do something which is Kirk doesn't do, which would have got them basically killed. So. Okay. Yeah. And and I, that's pretty cool that they set it up as we know that the ship's in the right hands with Kirk, like because because of the decisions he's making. But also, they are gonna go with that he like he needs help. He needs Decker's help because he doesn't know the ship very well. I, I think that's a cool choice for them to make in the movie instead of him just being like the totally capable. I know everything and I know everything about the ship. So I really I really do like those moments when Decker knows more. And Kirk is like, you're right. You do know more. I need your help on that one. But then still later, we'll make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Yeah, cool. Cool setup. So another ship has intercepted Enterprise and someone wants to board. Ooh, I wonder who, who it is. Who could it be? Who are we missing? Perhaps Commander Spock? Spock. Do we need a Spock? Spock. Why, yes, indeed. Mr. Spock, Mr. Spock has arrived. Excellent. Excellent. And he's very happy. He's very happy about oh, it. Yeah. Very happy to be on board. 
Oh yeah, they had a real uh, they had a real nice moment welcoming welcoming him on board. He, he basically gets a full applause from the crew, and as uh, he's just like got his back turned to them, and yeah. his only acknowledgement is like a the slightest of head turns, yeah, and then just keeps going. It's like. Oh. And the crew just loves him. <laughs> like everybody's just beaming in that room. And then he leaves, and they should all just be like, What a guy. I love Spock. <laughs> it's like, why do you all love this guy so much? He does not even care you're around. Yeah. So he takes his rightful place as the science officer. Perfect. I uh I also felt at this point in the movie that they were doing a really excellent job of making you feel like you're in mm. outer space. Mm, yeah. Now, often times in movies, like let's look at a movie. Let's just go with Alien for this example. But you know you're in space because they'll set an establishing shot of you in space. But you don't get many shots after that, um, like inside the vessel that let you know that you're in space. So you could tend to forget that you are in space. But this ship has so many windows. There's so many scenes where people are talking in front of a window and you see the stars and you're reminded, yes, we're on a spaceship flying through outer space. So I, I really appreciate that for the time. I think that was a very nice thing that they did and they were able to pull off. Yeah, it's a really good point. It's not just out the front, like out the window where everyone's flying. It's it's everywhere. Just like casual conversation you can see out a window. That's a good point. That's that's one thing Star Trek does really good. Like just always in the shows and stuff like that. They always have people in front of windows. And um, it, it makes sense because if you were on a ship traveling traveling through outer space i don't necessarily think you'd want all the rooms completely boxed off with no windows like i think you'd yeah. you'd probably still want windows to feel like you're not just like in a compartment like you'd want to see that there's stuff out there so i like how they Definitely. do it now spock lets us know he's experienced a consciousness of great power something unlike he's ever experienced before that's why he needed to join the mission he needed to try to make contact with this super consciousness. I don't like Spock in this movie. Okay. I'm going to come um, out and say it. I do, he, this is not, he's not like this in the show. This is a, a, a little bit of a strange kind of character that they've, like character route they've decided to go with him. I'm not sure okay. what it, what this is all about. He's not like this before and he's not really like this after. This is a mm. bit of an anomaly and I don't like it. Okay, because like he's got a presence, he's got a, a great presence about him. Um, so I, I sort of uh, appreciated that as a character, and then I was kind of like, I don't really get why everyone would love him so much, except for maybe that he's just, you know, he's he's a key piece of the team. Um, but I would say after this movie, I didn't quite get why he would get so much love. It's like in, it feels like in this movie, he's just on his own agenda. He doesn't really care about anybody. Okay, yeah. All he's yeah. there to do is like do this one. Like he has to communicate with this consciousness and he's using the Enterprise and the crew to do it. And it yeah. just doesn't make any sense. Like okay. I, don't, I, didn't, okay. I, didn't, I didn't like it so much. Well, that's good. That's good. Good to bring it up because I, I was a little just I just didn't quite know about his character after that. I was like, OK, like he's fine. He's great. But I, I don't know if it's my my thing. Yeah, he just seems like the grandest son of a bitch of all. He's just like, yeah, such a prick. <laughs> he is just doing his own thing. I just thought that's what he is. But what's, no, what's what he's he not does. like that. He's not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Weird. So Enterprise arrives at the gaseous cloud. I'm frightened. Uh oh. The Enterprise is scanned, and Kirk orders them not to scan back, as it might be taken as a hostile act. Right. Now, I feel like this is where Decker would have ordered the scan. For sure. And they yeah. would have been destroyed. Yeah. Immediately after that, Decker recommends they raise shields. Kirk says no. That would also mm-hmm. appear hostile. So I feel like mm-hmm. right there, Decker gets them killed. Yeah. And Kirk saves them. For sure. So For sure. Spock thinks there's something in the center of the cloud, and Kirk wants to go in and find it. Now, they get there. And Spock receives the following message. Like, Spock's like a a telepath. He can, like, communicate telepathically with um, other species that can do that. Okay. The message is, they've been contacted. Why haven't they responded? Hmm. It's kind of... It's weird. Weird. Yeah, it's weird. What the movie is doing really well at this point is building that mystery and suspense of what this cloud thing is. 
Yeah, I guess uh, I hadn't thought about it, but this like gaseous cloud, this entity within, that's also a character, right? That's like your yeah, your your kind of your villain of the movie. So they For they sure. also have to um slowly take you along that character's story as well, and just like slowly yeah. unpeel the layers of of what's making this thing tick. Yeah, totally. Then the gaseous cloud fires on the Enterprise but the ship is able to survive the attack. Yeah, that's weird because we haven't seen that yet. Ships have been disappearing. Right. That was a close one. Yeah, except the light was green. It wasn't like the blue. Oh, was it a different color? Shot. It was a different color as a green shot. Oh, I didn't notice that. So maybe that was the probing shot. Is this where it's probing oh, the ship? Oh, nice nice pull. Yeah. I just thought they were all out of blue lasers. <laughs> fire the green fire the, the green yeah. la- fire, fire the green fire the blue laser we're, we're out of the blue laser fire the green laser then <laughs> uh spock is able to make it so that they can send a translated message to the alien vessel hmm. and enterprise sends a message of friendship to the object and its aggression seems to stop yeah so, i'm a big fan of friendship messages yeah it was, it was a good one it's cool I'd be sending those all the time. I'd be, you know what, Tim? I'd be hmm. flying to the Predator's planet and just sending friendship messages, just seeing if anything hits. Oh yeah, how do you think that's gonna See, go, Dean? Just seeing if anyone's like returns, returns yeah. it. Oh, get a new best friend. You'll get a return message for sure. Don't worry about that. <laughs> You'll get a message sent back. Might not be one I want. <laughs> it might be the blue laser though. <laughs> so they fly to the center of this cloud and find that there is some sort of vessel in the center. And it's huge. Oh, yeah. It is absolutely gigantic. And this is another time where they take so much time to fly through the cloud, giving you a bunch of different types of visuals, and then getting to the ship or getting to whatever the vessel is in the center. You fly past that thing for so long that you can really, really tell how absolutely huge it is. Yeah, they did a great job with that. I mean, this thing is it's larger than this than a city. Like it's it's just it's it's massive. Oh yeah. They spend a good I think they they spend a good 15 minutes flying through the gaseous cloud and then flying across this object. I think it's just 15 yeah. minutes of this movie of them just going showing the scale of this object, which yeah. might sound boring, but I was just fascinated the whole time. I'm just like, "Wow." Cuz everything looked great too. Everything looked just amazing. I'm just a, I'm just taken away by how great everything looked and the the fact that they're taking the time just to do that. Yeah, I love it. I, I loved it. There's a, there's a number of sci-fi movies out there that take these sort of breaks right at the end where they fly for like through some sort of uh you know cool color you know clouds and things like that wormholes whatever they fly through them for like five to ten minutes and i always love it when it happens in a movie i don't know why it was like okay yeah great i'm just in this now i'm in this this these colors flying at my face and i'm good i like it too um i just think it's like really pure sci-fi storytelling when you do something totally. like that. you're not afraid just to, yeah. to, to do that to show because you need to show the scale of this object i, was, I like yeah. that the movie started off with the three klingon ships firing on this object and getting killed mm. And then Starfleet mm-hmm. not doing that. They're taking their time to totally. do all that they can not to be aggressive. And they keep getting further and further and further, which is like right. ultimately the Starfleet way. So I, I like, you know, what they're, what they're building on there. Great. Now, Great setup. this alien vessel starts pulling Enterprise closer in with a tractor beam. So this Ilea character that we've talked about already, she mm-hmm. gets taken by this vessel, by this alien vessel. And then sent back to Enterprise as a way for them to start communicating with Enterprise. Right. So I think what is sent back is not her body. It is a copy. Yeah, she's she's dead at this point. She's she's gone. She's dead. She's dead. And some some sort of a replicant has been sent back. Yes. And she says she was sent by V'ger and V'ger was sent by the creator. Mm. Mm. Mystery builds yeah yeah mystery builds yeah i'm pretty in, i'm pretty into this uh finding out what what's going on here oh, finding totally. out what's going on with viger finding out what's going on with this now uh alia who's not alia anymore is some sort of like it seems to be some sort of like robot or something yeah so Little voice modulation so now we have a way of communicating between enterprise 
and this alien vessel V'ger, like utilizing this ILEA. So that's another step in the right direction for yeah. both parties, right? Like the alien and, and Enterprise. The crew of Enterprise, they're, they're struggling to try to understand how to communicate with ILEA, though. Because it is now a machine, or I believe it's a machine now of some sort. I think it's a machine, yeah. So they're still struggling with how do you communicate with the machine. So they do an interesting thing, I thought, is they try to remind Ilea about her times as a human. So they think yeah. there might still be something from her there, and they try yeah. to appeal to that, which was interesting. And it, it is it is interesting because like it's exact copy. They say it's an exact copy of her, even down to the organs. So they're like, oh, well, maybe she'll have be able to pull the same types of memories. And then maybe we can talk to this machine as it was Ilea. Right. Right. So they they want to they want to use her to communicate that they're not being hostile. They're not. Yeah. They're not a, Earth is not a problem. Uh, they want her to connect with V'ger, um to get some answers. But um, it, it seems like V'ger doesn't know the answers. It's like V'ger, V'ger has as many questions as Enterprise does. So yeah. now, meanwhile, while all this is going on, Spock is off on some sort of suicide mission. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's put on a, a, a suit, a space suit, and he's floating towards the center of the alien vessel, like all by himself without telling, about, telling anybody. Seems, seems dangerous. Hey, he's going in. I'm going, everybody. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. Um, but Spock determines that V'ger is a machine, which we knew because we saw the whole movie and we've been talking about right. it already, but this is where I guess in the movie they figured out, Spock figures it out for them and Spock determines that he must mind meld with it. <laughs> yeah. He's always, right, he's exactly. always got to mind meld. <laughs> yeah. He's always got to do it. It sounds like a bad idea to me. It really, it really does. I mean, it seems like it's going to be pretty tough to mind meld with what, that gigantic machine. How do you mind meld with a machine? He does it, though, and then he gets spit out of uh, the center of it, just gets tossed out. Like, I think, mm-hmm. I feel like he was getting rejected there. Oh, yeah. Um, but he gets back on Enterprise and explains V'ger to us. We get an explanation. Yeah. He says, V'ger is a conscious living machine from a planet of living machines. And V'ger has knowledge that spans the universe. Mm. But with all that knowledge, V'ger doesn't know beauty or the simple feelings that humans have. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like V'ger and Spock have a lot in common. Interesting, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) V'ger wants to know if all it is, is a machine. Yeah. Is it nothing more than that? And Kirk here is fascinated that a machine planet has sent a machine to Earth looking for its creator. And yeah. I am also fascinated by that. I think that's really cool. I'm, I'm super fascinated by that. I think it's really cool, you know, concept. Um, when Spock comes back and says all these things, then I start clicking in, okay, all these scenes with the V'ger probe. So the V'ger probe is Ilea. All these scenes where they're trying to remind her of things she does rem- she does like remember certain things but then once it gets to some sort of feeling about that she kind of rejects it and it's like oh that doesn't i don't understand that like he, he there she's decker showing her a game and she's like looking at it and kind of getting into it and then all of a sudden she's like there's no use for this like all of a sudden when it's has to be like what it makes you feel what playing a game makes you feel or whatever like even just remembering Decker, what those emotions make her feel, she just rejects it. And I thought that was cool what Spock had to say. Yeah, she she has the information and can remember the things. So that worked. They got her to remember, but she can't have to make the emotional connection. Like even that probe can't do it. So I thought that was kind of, um, you know, parallel things happening there with Spock finding out about V'ger and us seeing what the V'ger probe is able to and unable to do. Right. Yeah, that's, that is cool. Uh, V'ger is unhappy with the talks so far. Uh, it says the creators have not yet answered. And uh, V'ger sends a bunch of ships into Earth's orbit in a formation Uh-oh. that looks like it's going to destroy the planet. It's bad formation, Tim. It was, it was a bad formation? Destroy formation. Yeah, it was it's a destroy formation. Bad for Earth. Yeah, exactly. Now, Spock calls V'ger a child at this point. He's trying to explain <laughs> it to Kirk. He calls V'ger a child. And yeah. that she doesn't know what she needs, only that she needs something. 
I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's why these questions are coming back from V'ger. V'ger doesn't understand really what it is or what it's looking for. It just needs yeah. something, but it doesn't know what. Now, yeah, I actually at this point, because because V'ger's looking for the creator, right. you know, and, and, and doesn't really have any answers other than that, you know, kind of reminds me of Prometheus. Yeah. Like another movie in the alien, you know, we're going to go find our creator and we don't know what we're going to do when we get there. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're a machine and you came from the machine planet, I mean, maybe your yeah. creator's on the machine planet, but. Apparently not. Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently Earth is where to go. Yeah. The creator's on Earth. It's uh, it's Elon Musk. Spoiler alert. It's, oh, e- it's Elon Musk. Spoilers. Right? Yeah. It's yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. They be. say that at the end of this movie, mm. and it's wild because it was in 1979. And right. I don't. Uh, I'm not sure he was born yet. He was a lot. He was living. <laughs> okay. Kirk plays hardball here, explaining to Viger he's ready to destroy Enterprise, and all the mm. information Viger needs will be lost if Viger refuses to stop the attack on Earth. And Viger agrees to stop. That's classic, Kirk. Okay. Yeah. Vidra throws a little temper tantrum yeah. first. Oh, Vidra responded really quick though. Vidra's yeah. like, "Yeah, well, I guess that's I guess that's fair." Makes sense, yeah. Enterprise moves to the center of Vidra and some of the crew just get out of the ship without any sort of spacesuit and approach the center. As it yeah. seemed very weird. But just be, I guess because they're right close to the center there's like atmosphere there or something. I guess I don't know. They didn't. They didn't. Not explain. Bother. Yeah, and and it's it's not even like nobody wears suits. Like we've seen people in suits in this movie in space, right? So yeah, it's it's not even just that they forgot. I think that they just didn't care to explain. <laughs> They're just like whatever. They'll go out without suits. It's fine. Yeah, like why would you ever think to just walk? I guess I mean they have sensors and stuff like that, so they could have right. detected oxygen. They could have they could have like said like oh yes, this is actually fine. You don't need a spacesuit, but. Yeah. I don't know. I've seen episodes where they're like, don't be fooled by your sensors. Like, we still need to wear the suit. Let's not be crazy here. We're not going to go to like, we're not going to go into outer space without a suit, but. Right, right. Okay. I don't know. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine, Tim. Get over it. It's okay. It's fine. They were fine. So you're fine. So the ILEA probe takes the crew to V'ger and at the center of everything is the Voyager 6 satellite sent from Earth. So this is the this is the shocker. Yeah. The the Voyager 6 Voyager is Voyager but the middle letters were smudged out. Yeah. So so that's why it's Voyager. So and initially and for most of my life they lose me here with this. <laughs> totally. Totally, Tim. Um, like all this time watching and waiting for this great payoff, <laughs> right? And this is what it is. You're like, it's a data collection like, probe that we sent out. Such a cop out, you, you <laughs> <Yeah>. bastards! <laughs> but after, like, you know, more recently, taking the time to reflect on, like, what they did, I appreciate it a whole lot more. I don't. Really, I think I don't really feel cheated at all. Yeah, I think they make up for it with the explanation, which is something I really had to listen to to make sure you know I understood what was going on. And I think they really make up for it. Sure. Yeah. So that explanation is that uh, Voyager Six um, sent out into space with a mission of learn and report back to Earth mm-hmm. is pulled through a wormhole across the galaxy, and once it gets there it starts to make its way back to earth and on its way back, it gathers as much information as it can meets up with this machine planet gets, Mm -hmm. gets even, um, I don't know what they do, but it becomes something better. And in the process, it becomes sentient. And now it wants to still complete its mission of transmitting its data back to earth. Yes, so the, but, the but probe is just... Hold, okay. Hold on, but, but it wants to transmit its data, but no one's listening for it. That's the problem here, is nobody's yeah. listening for the Voyager 6 channel because it was like sent out so many years before and nobody expects it to come back. Right, it was like 300 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so the, that probe went through you know, that wormhole and then it 
when it land when it when it inter- got intercepted by the alien planet, like that planet just of technology got a hold of it, it read its mission as you know very literal that it's just supposed to collect data and return it to its creator. So it built that entire ship out of it. The Voyager probe is just the little thing in the middle. The machine world built the entire ship so that it could get back. So then all along its way, it was collecting all that data. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. I kind of I kind of saw it a little bit different. I thought that like in the process of maybe it getting from the machine planet back to Earth, like as it learned things, it was making improvements to itself, just like learning and making itself better. I think so. I think so too. But that is, yeah, that's technology that the machine planet added definitely. to it. it definitely. So yeah. when it, yeah, when it, it disintegrates things, I think it's actually just copying them and and putting it into like because when Spock went through that like little hole or whatever, when it went through like the center of the machine, he was seeing tons of stuff. He was seeing planets and ships and all these other things. I think when it copies something or like when it disintegrates something, it actually takes it into the cloud with it. Hmm. Like data collection is like physical. It's like they okay. physically are. Co- it's physically collecting the data that it's scanning. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's I like that. That's an interesting point. So Kirk tells Viger that they are the creators, and they can help Viger complete its mission. Like if Viger's looking for the creators, Kirk now understands that's them. But they can't figure out how to get Voyager to transmit the data. It's just not working. Right. So Viger says it wants to touch the creator itself. Right. And won't allow transmission of the data in any other way. Hmm. Viger wants to evolve and it needs a human capacity to believe beyond logic. And it needs to join with a human to do so. So Decker lets himself be joined with the Ilea probe so Viger can join with a creator. Right. Because he's so still he's obsessed. So, he's so horned up he's... with her. He's so horned up with her, and she's like, "I need to, uh, I need to make contact." And he's like, "I volunteer." He's like, "I will, I will do I it. I will be the one to like, make contact with you." I would like to Again. connect. Uh, I would like to connect Peter to Viger. <laughs> I would like to connect my Peter to your Viger. <laughs> I don't remember that in the movie, Dean. Oh, he didn't. Maybe he didn't say that. Holy moly! He was down, man. He was. He wanted in on that. He volunteered immediately. He's like, "I want this so bad." Kirk's like, "No, no, Decker, don't do it." And he's like, "You know what, Kirk? You know how bad you wanted the ship. That's how bad I need this." He was very into the Ilia unit. <laughs> he was very into the Ilia unit. So Decker and Ilia get absorbed into the Vidra machine, and it looks like that worked somehow because Vidra just disappears. Yeah. Yeah, it disappears. How does that it's work? Gone. It's just gone. Like it's the gone. actual physical machine is gone. gone. That giant thing is gone. I don't know what happened. I don't know where anything went. I don't. I don't get that really. There was like blue sparks that flew out. Is it was it in the blue sparks? I don't think so. <laughs> I do not. That, think the so. crew here call it a birth of a new life form, perhaps a human evolution. Perhaps. And Kirk. Gives the order. Well, someone asked Kirk, where, where do we go now? Uh, head out there. That away. Out there. Out there, that away. And they do. And we're done. That's the end. Awesome. The end. It is awesome. It is. I, I liked it a lot. I, I like it a lot, too. I, I'm like, I think when I, I mean, I saw it as a kid lots of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've always been lost by this whole voyager six satellite that they used that that that's what it was and i never liked that i always felt gypped by that but i really think it's a brilliant idea because you have the humans create a machine the voyager six satellite you have the machine then go off and find more machines and evolve and then search for its human creator Mm -hmm. to learn what the humans are and what they know And it becomes powerful enough to physically absorb a human to understand better by merging with the human and then ultimately creating a new human machine consciousness. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's very, very smart. Yeah. I love like any movie, any TV show that is trying to like dissect 
you know, like artificial intelligence and how far can that go and how smart can, you know, that be if you can make the amount of, you know, connections that our brain could have, would a robot be able to act the same way as a human? I love all those discussions and all those ideas. So I like that in 1979 with the Star Trek movie, the first one, we get that. We get that type of discussion of where this machine can go and how far, and it's asking the questions. It's asking like, is am I just a machine? Is that it? Do I want to go find my creator and figure it out? Again, reminding me of Prometheus, which the humans get to that point where they're like, is this it? I want to meet the creator and see why I was created. And it's it, they're cool questions. And it's cool that this old Star Trek movie does it with the machine point of view. Like the machine's asking the questions. Really neat. Yeah, I think it's really smart. Real smart movie for 79. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I I did give it uh I did give it two watches, and the first one I thought good, you know, but I didn't quite understand the ending, so I really paid attention the second time, and the second time it kind of reached just another level for me because I was able to do all this thinking about it and and really understanding, you know, all these different levels that it presents right at the end. Okay, one thing left to do. So I want to know, if you had to make this movie better, how do you make it better? Now, I want to caveat that with, I don't know if you can make this movie better, because mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy what they did. But let's just maybe say, what could you do to make it different? What would you do to make it different? Still good, but different. Yeah. Um, hmm. What would I do? Um, so at, at at first, I thought like, you know, the ending was a little too long. I like the slow burn at the beginning, but I thought once the reveal happened, it was there was just too much in the in, in the ending. But I, I take I would take that back now because on, you know, on the second watch, I needed all that. I needed all that info. So it actually makes it really interesting. So not that I actually love still the pace of the whole movie. It's, it's pretty long. It's a pretty long movie. But, um, you know, maybe there's spots to to shorten it up. I think if it drags at all, it drags right when the Aaliyah probe comes and just a little bit of that stuff, a little bit of the Aaliyah probe stuff um, drags a bit when I think they could get to it a little quicker of what they're trying to get to. But I like the conclusions they're drawing. Just I felt that in that spot, I felt I lost a little bit of my momentum, even though I was getting questions. It needed me uh, to have Spock return back from his little mind meld for me to get back into it and get back into like the ideas of the movie. So there's, there's a little spot there. Um, I don't know, man. So tighten it up, make it a bit shorter. I think like cut 15 minutes somewhere. It's like (laughs) like somehow two hours and 12 minutes. So it's a, it's a long movie. It's long. It's like, you need to somehow get like 15 to 25 minutes out of there. Um, I like some of the long, like the scenes that take a long time. So I yeah. don't even know if it's those, but somewhere in there, there's something that's not needed that you can cut about 15 to 20 minutes because it's a bit long. Yeah, that's cool. So like I might be losing my momentum by the end in that Aaliyah scene just because it's been an hour 50 already. <laughs> you know, it's been an hour 40 already. So maybe that's why I'm losing my steam when I think when I think I should be getting answers, I'm getting more questions. And hmm. that should be really like the bulk part of the movie where you're like fully engaged and you're really thinking about those things. And so I think that's why the first time I watched it, it lost me because I wasn't quite engaged at that point. Hmm. Um, it might, yeah, have, it might so, have been interesting if um, the whole Ilea, like the taking of Ilea and the, like the replacing of Ilea was yeah. done maybe more of in like a stealth manner. Like maybe we didn't know or right. pick up about that. Like maybe it wasn't like, okay, Aaliyah's gone. She's been taken. Aaliyah's back. Maybe if that was something that wasn't shown to everybody and we, and we just had to learn that, yeah, um, yeah. that might've, that might've been a more interesting way of doing her character. Yeah. And add to the mystery a bit. Um, yeah. It, it, I, I like that idea though. I like the idea of like, maybe, Ilea disappears and we're not really sure how that happened because um, we are given a a big display <laughs> of how it happened. This is one of the special effects moments um, where she got taken away. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. She, you know what, Tim? What? She got taken away by unlimited power. Oh no! I, was, I hated that. Lightning. Yeah, she I got know. lightning. Well, yeah, our buddy the emperor showed up. <laughs> she got lightning. She got lightning. Yeah, yeah. it was like light. Yeah, Viger killed her. Viger has lightning power. Yeah, he's got it. Yeah, well, you heard it here first. Dean thinks Viger is the emperor. I don't know. If, I don't <laughs> I know. Mean, if, I they don't have know if we can similar qualities. I don't know if we can argue that point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dean. Well, thanks for joining this week. Yeah, man. We will see you next week. And thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week, we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. That's it for another episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to drop us a line, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as TalkBackPod, or by email at TalkBackPod at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews will help more people find Talking Back. All right, that's it. We're done.